You know, I have a word this morning that I really want us to pay attention to because I believe it's significant. I'm still talking about the family. And I will keep talking about the family until the Lord tells me to say something different. Cultivating your children in a spiritual atmosphere is one of the most powerful things you can ever do. Well, I only got a couple of amens there. <laughs> Cultivating a spiritual atmosphere in which to raise your children is, the, is one of the most important atmospheres you will ever raise children in. Every day your children are going into various kinds of atmospheres that are polluting and staining your kids. So you raising a, your child in that environment is, uh, is not good for the child, but if you can change that environment so that the first, the first environment the child wakes up to in the morning is one of love, one of a God, a God-filled house, and the last thing the child returns to at night is, is the same atmosphere, then that's got to be good for the child. Would you not agree? And if you want to decree this, this year to pray over your family, write this down. Your family is designed for accomplishment. Your family is designed for accomplishment. It's engineered for success. And, is, and it is endowed with the seeds of greatness. Let me say that again. Your family is designed for accomplishment. It's engineered for success. And it's endowed with the seed of greatness. If you carry the, the seed of Christ, your seed is great. The Bible calls it imperishable. It's an imperishable seed. So I believe that my family is bound and born and birthed for accomplishment. Yeah? I really believe that. My family, your family, our family, this church family is birth for accomplishment. By the time we leave this earth, we must have accomplished something. Hello? We are engineered for success. We are engineered for success, not failure. And deep within our hearts is endowed the seed of greatness. God has put his seed inside us. That's my declaration for 2017 over the family. Amen? Father, I thank you. That my family has, you, you, you sorry, I, I thank you, Lord, that within your heart towards my family, you want to see us accomplish great things. Yes. Father, we are engineered for success. Yes. Lord, endowed within us is the seed of greatness. Tell your children they've got the seed of greatness in them. Yes. And watch them, watch them uh, have a different attitude. Now, you and I have to speak that and live that and walk through that over our own lives and over our children's lives. Amen? So the first thing we need to be doing is speaking that positive message into the lives of our children. I don't care how old your children are. When I say children, I'm speaking as a parent. So your children are always children. Yeah? They're always your babies. Whether they're 33, I've got, I've got, a, 30, I've got a 30-year-old baby. I've got a 27-year-old one. Yeah, they're all my babies. You know, they're, they're grown up. I acknowledge them as, as grown ups, but they're always my children. So I'll always speak greatness over them. Why? Now, that doesn't mean to say I ignore the wrong things in them. We deal with the wrong things, but nevertheless, the wrong can be, can be rectified, but what they're born for never changes. You know, you, you need to remember that. That's what brings the whole family line up, the water level up. What they were born for never changes. Irrespective of what, how they're living right now, it never changes. The seed of greatness is in them. They're born for great accomplishments, even though they do different things and things that we don't like and want for our children. So we must start, let's start, the water level must be high. Because at times your kids are going to come home and they're going to disappoint you. They're going to come home and disappoint you. They're going to make choices that you wouldn't want them to make. But don't stop thinking that declaration. You're still born for greatness. Why? Because when your kids go off, back, off path, you have to bring them back on. You do that through prayer. You do that through counsel. You do that through encouragement. You do that through many things. 
But that's, you have to keep the water level up in your family. Yeah? When my children went off, I've gone off in different paths, I could become despondent and say, Lord, my children went off. And God says, well, hold you, hold you line. You're the parent. Hold the line. If you go, it's all gone. Hold the line. Don't lose hope. If you lose hope, you've lost hope. Yes? So, before I traveled to Malaysia, I, I read from 1 Corinthians, sorry, 1 Chronicles 22. Sorry, let me just say that. 1 Chronicles 12, 32. And here in this verse, it says this. Regarding the tribe of Issachar, that the men of Issachar understood the times. And they knew what Israel should do. That's a powerful, powerful thing. This tribe of Issachar was one of the original 12 tribes. And they were a family who had all, running through its lineage, ran a distinct quality. Yes, it was a distinct quality. It says the men of Issachar, not some of the men, not one generation of Issachar, but the tribe of Issachar, it spoke to them as collective term, all understood the times and knew what to do in the time. Now that is a fantastic gift to have. To know, to be able to see, read the season from afar so they've got insight into the spirit realm. Come on. They've got insight into the spirit realm. They can see from afar what time they're in, but then because they've got the insight and the foresight, they're able to make adjustments so they know what to do in that time. Because in troubled times, people get frantic. They panic. You only have to go into to America right now, and half of America is in panic because now Donald Trump's won the election. The rest of the world's in panic because Donald got in power. Half of our country is in panic because Brexit. So people lose hope and lose sight of the future because of events that take place. But if you can read the season and know what to do, you're always ahead of the game. Wouldn't it be great if you could go to work and know what your boss is planning about you? Wouldn't it be good that if you can see the signs of your company downsizing and before it comes to you, you've already looked for another job. And just as you're going to go, they give you redundancy. So you walk out happy and proud. Wouldn't Wouldn't you like that? Of course you would. It's a fantastic spiritual quality to have. Hindsight and foresight, insight, wisdom, revelation, knowledge. These dudes had it. But I believe by the Holy Spirit, you can have it for your family. By the Spirit. It's not something that was only given to them, but it spoke about them having it. Yes? You and I can have it through relationship with Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one who sees ahead. That's why you need the prophetic message because the prophetic environment helps us to see the future. It helps us to see what God is about to do and it helps us to make adjustments so we can walk in that prophetic future. Every family needs a prophetic atmosphere. Your children need hope and you have to create the environment that sets that scene to give them that hope. Because you, that you know God, but they may not yet. And, they, and even if they do, they may be immature in their understanding. So a prophetic atmosphere is a very, very powerful atmosphere. Every family needs it. Every family. Most families right now in Britain don't know, and they fear for their future, what will come in the new year, will our job lay us off? Will our company lay us off? What we're going to do? We have a mortgage to pay. These are real concerns, are they not? But in a prophetic atmosphere, God is the one speaking, not outside. You must listen to the inner small voice, still voice, rather than the the chaotic noise outside. Because in the noise, there's many voices. But internally, there's one voice speaking. Amen? Outside, in the noise, there's many voices. And there's confusion. 
So, there's great adage to the, you know, that thought that says, the monkey that sees becomes the monkey that does. So if you can train your little monkeys to see what you see, to hear what you hear, and touch what you touch, then your children will be raised in a prophetic atmosphere. How many of you believe that? I had no such uh, joy because my mother and father wasn't Christians before I was. I became a Christian and later they became believers. Well, mum did. We're not quite sure about dad yet. We'll have to wait. But we know mum definitely is there. So I never had that uh, model. But Shirley got saved before me. So I had, Shirley was, the, Shirley was the pioneer and Shirley and Andy. So they broke through something in our family that paved the way for all the rest of the family to cross over. Now, not all our family. Well, I mean, auntie and uncles are all saved, but the Duffs and the Igginsons are saved. Well, I know I am. I'm not sure about Andy, but I know I am. But, so the monkeys now that see, our little monkeys have seen what the big monkeys have been doing, and now our kids are beginning to follow. And they've got a walk, and they've got the responsibility for, the, for their own lives before God. It's a beautiful thing to see our family standing here, worshipping God. It's a beautiful thing, and I never take it for granted. Why? Because it's a great joy. And I long for the day when I see my daughter and my other son join us. Yes? Because that's, that's what keeps me going. If they don't, now they've got their own lives and they think they don't need us. They don't need Christ. But I've got news for them. He's coming for them. He's, he's coming to a street near them. So Abraham Lincoln said this. Very good quote. He says, there's just one way to bring up a child in the way they should go. And that is to travel that way yourself. There's just one way. How many ways? Just one way. To raise up a child in the way they should go. And that is to travel that way yourself. So mom and dad, you must be the model. The emphasis is on you being the model. So if you can raise, the, if you can walk that way, walk that way, learn that way, then the children will see that. Now it's not a guarantee your kids will follow. But that's not, that's not up to you. Everyone must have a choice to follow Christ. Everyone must be given a choice. They're not Christian because dad's Christian. It doesn't work that way. But dad and mum and dad should say, must set the frequency. Or our kids will never find Christ. God expects you as the parent to set the scene. I like what Richard Crisco said in his comment. He said, you teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. You teach what you know. That's your responsibility to teach your children what you know. But then you must reproduce who you are in your children. So if you're an angry, cantankerous person, you'll reproduce that in your children. Come on. But if you're positive, loving, caring, then guess what? Your children will see how you respond around your husband and your wife. And they will see that as the first picture of love. It's true when they say that the first woman your daughter looks for, sorry, the first man your, your daughter looks for is a picture of a father. Yeah. It's true. Because she's seen dad the way he's either handled mum, good or bad. She either thinks, I don't want him as my, I don't want a man like him as my husband. Why? Because my dad was just like that. Or I want a man just like my dad. This is subconsciously. Why? Because she's, she's moved by the pattern that's been reproduced. And then Anne Landers made this comment. It's not what you do for your children, but what you have taught them to do for themselves that will make successful human beings. It's not what you do for children, but what you have taught them to do for themselves that will make them successful human beings. In every one of those comments and quotes, there's a model. There's a person behind those quotes that's modeling, walking the way, demonstrating the way to the family. Now, I'm a great believer. It's never too late to be the role model in your family. 
Now listen, hear what I'm saying. Some families have devastation. Father went right off the chart. Mother went right off the chart. How can they ever become a role model? With Christ, it's possible. It is possible. God can redeem things. Well, I really don't think I can ever forgive my father. That's not the same as God restoring. God can restore, but there's a lot of process to go through. There's a lot of forgiveness. There's a lot of healing to take place, but God can do it. Why? Because I've seen it. I've seen it. It's It's going to take time. It will take time. There'll be a lot of tears shed. There'll be a lot of conversations. But with Christ, all things are possible. Why? Because it's always God's heart to restore the family. It's possible. I've told you many times how my own relationship with my father, how God restored something that I never, ever could ever thought my my dad. I never thought I could ever love my dad because he was just a pain in the backside to me. To me, emotionally, that is. Though he provided emotionally. But God, did, God reversed that. God reversed that. God changed him, changed me, changed us. He worked in him, he worked in me, and he worked in us. And it's a beautiful thing to see a father and son restored. Mother and daughter, children and parents. But we have to set the atmosphere for that to take place. I'm going to have my day with my children. We're going, I can see me sat around a table with my children and we're praying and we're blessed. That's my hope. And it's my hope. That, why? Because my children are born for success. There's a seed of greatness in us. We're endowed with this seed. It's, the Bible says it's imperishable. You can stand on it. You can try and crush it, but it's imperishable. As long as you carry that seed inside you, there's always hope. There's always hope. Amen? Now, if you were born in Ireland, if you were born in Ireland, it's every mother's joy and primary delight to see their children or their son enter the Catholic priesthood. In Ireland, every mother wants to see their son. You know, like you say sometimes, where's your son? Oh, my son's a doctor. Or my daughter's a doctor. Or my son or my daughter's are pilots. Everyone's got this kind of high hopes of what their children will be. Well, my son is, he works in a shop. Oh. So if you're going to measure him against a doctor, it doesn't sound great. But he's fulfilled. He loves his wife. Raises his children. He's honorable. Pays his taxes. Keeps his nose clean. Isn't that just as good? Absolutely. You know. But, you know, what our kids can do is what our kids do. What they don't do, they don't do. Right? But the point doesn't make one greater or better because they can do this. However, every parent, should every mother in Ireland wants their kids to become the priest. Why? Because that's the model of success in Ireland. The priesthood. And everyone's got a dream of what they want their kids to be. But God's got a dream for his family. God says, you are in the priesthood. We already read, you are priests and kings. You're in the priesthood. We're all in. Women and all. Yeah, women and all. Women were in this priesthood well before the Catholic Church or the Church of England sanctioned it. Women were in the priesthood, the part of the priesthood. Why? Because Jesus said, I've made you kings and priests. In my family, you're in. So, in the story I'm going to show you now, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 21... We read the story of Hannah. And she wants her son to be raised in the priesthood. She wants her son, Samuel, to be birthed into God's plan. Amen? She pleads with the Lord because she can't have a child. And she pleads and she goes through all this to the point where she's pleading that much that the priest thinks she's drunk. We get to the point where you see sometimes in the Middle East when you see these ladies crying when the sons have been killed and they, they, they wail, don't they? And it seems, it seems like excess, but that's their culture. That's the way they, they let off steam, so to speak. That's how they show their grief. So she must have been having a moment when the priest thinks, have you been on the, you been on the raz? What do you mean have been on the raz? She's in grief. 
She has to explain to him, no, no, I've not been drinking. I'm, I'm desperate for a child. I want God to hear my, my cry. So here we pick it up. And when the man Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifices to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, this is them going to the temple, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after, because now, now she's been pregnant, now she's had the baby, now this is the process of her fulfilling her vow, what she made to the Lord. She says, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. So she said to the Lord, if you give me a child, I'm going to give him to you so he can serve you and serve your will. She's made an amazing vow. This is, you couldn't do this today, could you? You know, don't get any ideas, ladies, of having a baby and dropping your kids off at the door and expecting me to raise them. It ain't going to happen. This is what was happening. This is called dumping. <laughs> Not in this case, it wasn't. After the boy's wind, I'll take him to the priest before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, the, the husband said. Can you imagine? That's the man that's involved there, isn't he? Do whatever you want, woman. Sort him out. Her husband told her, stay here until you have weaned the boy. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and she nursed her son until she had weaned him. So she didn't give him the baby. She gave him the baby that's been weaned. That's all that weaning and whining is probably gone. And, but here's the desire of a woman to have her son raised in the prophetic atmosphere. To have the son raised, and she's thinking, the best place I can, I can see my son raised is to bring him to the temple, to give him to the priest, and the priest raise him and show him and teach him the ways of God. Now, I'm not, I'll say I'm not advocating we all start the same kind of culture off, dropping your babies off at church. No, 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 no. The responsibility now is not in the church, it's in the home. Yes? So, now let's move on a little bit. Go to verse uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2. Eli now has to teach the child. Now, the baby's been dropped off in the church or in the temple. Some time has gone by. And now it comes to the point, listen, it's, a, it's an interesting transition, this, that you must all capture in order to see the significance behind it. It's one thing to bring the child to the temple, but now the child has to be trained in how to hear God. Hello? It's one thing to bring the child to church. It's another thing to train the child in how the child is to hear God. Remember, we want the, ch the child or the children to be raised in a certain distinct kind of atmosphere. It's gone quiet. Do we not? So, in verse, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 20, Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by his woman uh, to take the place of the one she prayed for and give to the Lord. Then they would go home, sorry, then they would go home, and the Lord was gracious to Anna, and she conceived and gave birth to three sons and her daughters. Meanwhile, listen, meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. So when she, went, when she presented the child, she went back home and the Lord gave her more children. Amen? So God wasn't, God wasn't selfish or tight on her. He gave her. She gave her sacrifice. She gave her first son, the only son she'd had. She get, there's a parable there, isn't there? Yeah. Giving the only son you've got. Yeah? Father says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And here she is, the only born, the firstborn. She's given it to the Lord. And the Lord says, I'm going to give you other children. But meanwhile, while that transition was going on and children were being born, Samuel was, was being raised and he was growing in the presence of God. That's your first challenge as a parent. While all the day-to-day -day stuff is going on, and through the raising of your children, your children, meanwhile, must be being raised in the presence of the Lord. 
during all the confusion, during all the challenges of raising children, because there's many, many challenges, during the setbacks, the triumphs, the trials, the traumas. Meanwhile, your children should be growing in the presence of the Lord. It's a challenge. Well, how, how, how do we do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Karen, stay with me. I'll take you deeper. So, two, so 1 Samuel chapter 2, the boy grew up in the presence of the Lord. Now, the misconception many parents and parent believers have is to think that if they want their children to be raised in a prophetic atmosphere, then all they have to do is to bring their children to church. Well, how many of you know there's many, many, in fact, there's hundreds, thousands of churches that are not prophetic? Come on, let's be honest. Prophetic means where we can hear the word of the Lord and it can show us our future. He can show us God's intent about what he's about to do, how he's about to move. Prophetic means, like the men of Issachar, they understand the times. They know what to do. They can make adjustments. Rather than just going to church, listen to liturgy, finishing off the vicar's song. Man, there's nothing there, is there? Bell smells incense and nonsense. But here, you cannot raise your children in a prophetic atmosphere just by bringing them to church. Where did we ever get that idea from? Well, I suggest it came from this story. I'll let the priest, well, we know what happened when we let the priest raise the children. Come on. We've got dreadful stories. Why? Because it was never the priest's role. Now, I'm not talking about orphans now. I'm talking about families. Orphans are different. But families are meant to raise their children in the home. You get them seven days a week. Seven days a week you get them. We get them for two hours on a Sunday. Surely you're not saying that my input for two hours, or not my input, someone's input, is greater than yours. And years ago, we used to, anybody who was weird, and let's face it, church is full of a lot of weird people. Anybody who was weird, we used to put them in a children's department. Go and look after the kids. Well, the real stuff is going on here. That's why we got such tragedies. Because we let anybody look after our kids. We don't want our kids looking after. We want our kids ministered to. No one's looking after your kids in that door. Or upstairs, or next door. But someone's ministering to your children. No, we don't do babysitting. But the concept is we bring them to church, the real stuff's going on here, but we'll let anybody look after the kids. What did you do? Oh, we just drawn nice pictures. Dear me. And then we wonder why we've got kids the way we are, because the parents didn't ask, what's going on in that room? What? Why isn't my kids being ministered to? Good question. Why? Because we just trust everything will be all right. Why? Because in the heart of it, we're being self-centered. As long as I'm being fed. Oh, you don't realize, Pastor, I need someone to look after my kids two hours. It gives me a sanity check. You need a sanity check. Church does not look after kids. It ministers to children. Amen? We want our children to, to grow up in the presence of the Lord, don't we? Leaving them at church is wrong. That's the wrong attitude. It, it actually says it's somebody else's responsibility. It's not the church's job, it's your job as a parent and my job as a parent. When Carol and I used to bring our kids, and many of you have done the same, one of us would go upstairs with our own children. Yeah, we didn't leave our kids with anyone. Why? Because I brought them. It's my job to look after them. Yeah? Now, if we can put ministry on, it's fantastic. That is great. So if you want your children to grow up in the presence of the Lord, then you have to make sure your home is full of the presence of the Lord. Yes? You have to make sure your home is filled with the presence of God. That's your responsibility. Because many houses are filled with a lot of things. Frustration. Antagonism. All those kind of things. But we need to make sure. Now, 
I just want to make a reference and I want to use something, uh, someone should say, as, as a point of illustration. David's son, Samuel, ironically, Sam. Is his, name prob- is his proper name Samuel? Samuel, great stuff. So we've got a parallel here. We've got Samuel in the Bible and we've got David's son, Samuel, who's part of our emerging voices. Now Samuel's growth has been quite unique for me, watching him spiritually, growing as a boy, seeing how God's moving on this young boy's life, is a real joy to watch. Yes? It's a real joy to watch. And what I've seen in young Sam is, if you want, if you want to know the secret of Sam's success, you've got to look at the home. I don't know if David and Lisa realize what they're doing, but whatever you're doing, he's doing right, he's working. Right? I'm sure they're doing a lot of things they're doing. It just doesn't happen. They're cultivating a relationship with each other, man, husband and wife. They've cultivated a relationship with the children. The home has a unique atmosphere. Sam is being raised in a prophetic atmosphere. Right? So is Dan. Right? The pair of them are good kids. But what I'm saying is, is that I can see how that atmosphere is working in Sam. Now, I'm not saying, please don't get, me, get this wrong. I'm not saying it's not working anywhere else. I'm just using this young lad because I've had interactions with him. Okay? So I know what's gone on because of my interaction with him. So it's happening in your family, hopefully. But I know it's going on here because I've had personal first-hand witness with him. Now, many of you will know that... Um, we, with our young people, we started, well, we pioneered this concept called standard bearing. And standard bearing, we wanted to ch- use it on the young people first before we, we brought it into the church. And we'll do, we will bring it in next year. We're going to roll it out right across the church. right? But we wanted to see how it affects the young people. And the principle is this. You serve someone above you. You must serve someone in front of you. And you turn around to serve someone behind you. Okay? So it's a serving mentality. How to put others before yourself. How to consider others before you consider yourself. Which is something all believers are called to do. Amen? It's not, oh, and it's sweet. No, it's not sweet. It's Bible. Something we're all called to do. So we thought we'd roll it out on the young people. And part of the standard bearers is... We have another section called armor bearers. And the armor bearers' job or role is, first of all, to come and serve people. Like, so the first thing they do is they'll serve me, they'll serve Phil, they'll serve the eldership team first. Right? And they'll serve other leaders in the church. And the first job is to make sure that, uh, is there anything I can get you this morning? Is there anything I can do for you this morning? So that their first thought is about somebody else. Yes? So what they do is they fill the bottles up. These juices here. So it's simple, but it's, it's thoughtful. That's the issue. It's thoughtful. You didn't think about it. They did. Right? Why? Because that's what we've been asking them to do. And then what they've got to do then is they've got to come and ask you, is there anything that you would like me to pray about this week? Right? So this has been going on for a while, and it's not always worked. This is a, pro, a process that is still in transition. Some kids think, well, it was my job this morning. Who was I supposed to be, who was I supposed to be doing? What do you mean, who are you supposed to? So there's, there's a lot of fun in this, and there's also a lot of frustration in this. So Samuel has, or Sam, is affectionately known. Sam occasionally has had to, you know, armor bear me, and has had to standard bear me. So just before I went to Malaysia... Sam came to me, and he started to serve me, and he's a sweet little kid. He looks at me and says, is there anything, Pastor Tony, you would like me to pray for you? I said, Sam, fantastic idea. I would like you, Sam, to pray for me about one thing, just one thing only. Let's not confuse the boy. Let's not talk about praying for all the nations. Let's not talk about praying for this couple, that couple, this. No, just pray for one thing, Sam. And one thing only, because I just wanted to have his attention, give his attention, just one thing in prayer. Well, Sam went to pray. He went to bat for me. And all through the week, Sam was praying for me and got a prophetic word for me. 
Right? It's not the first time he's done that, but this is, he was eager. And this is the word he gave to me. You're all eager now, aren't you? I can get my iPad to work. It's stupid. Name of Jesus, here we go. God told me something for Pastor Tony. This is his word. This is his text to me. God told me something for Pastor Tony. He told me that Pastor Tony has already gotten into the house of God and has to take his coat and shoes off. God said he must move into the living room because there's a whole feast waiting for him there. He must move and follow the sound of God. This, how old is it? 12 next week. I didn't think he was old, actually. I thought he was younger than that. God gave me this word in a way that I've never received before. This is his words. So he's getting an experience out of an experience. I'm getting the experience out of his experience. So the two are well chuffed. God gave me this uh, this, uh, word in a way that I've never received before. He put the words in my mind. And because I was praying, I just said them, and immediately, I wrote them down. Now, his spirit of his mind has been renewed. So he's captured it in his spirit of his mind, and as he's been thinking it, he spoke it out and then wrote it down. Yeah? I wrote down, I'm so excited about what God is going to do next. What a fantastic word. I'm reading that, I'm thinking... OMG, there's a generation rising. Why? Because he's been cultivated in a spiritual atmosphere. I don't know if David's ever taught him to prophesy, but the thing is, he's having, he's having the challenge of it, and he's just, to Sam, he's just saying what he sees. It's like catchphrase. Say what you see. And he's, he's, he's delivering it. Listen, greatest, let me think of it. He's doing it, not you. He's doing it. Why? Because he's no fear. He's no fear about what, what's going to happen. He says, and he said to me, privately, he said, I got it in such a way. He said, he said I've never had it like that before. He said, and I'm just thinking, wow, I want to do it again because I've never had God speak to me like that. So this is a lad that's got dialogue going in his relationship. Now, we're not just going to brag on one. We've got more Sam's in the house. The point is, that was my interaction with Sam. Now, that's why armor-bearing and standard-bearing is so powerful. Why? Because they're taking you and taking me home with them, and they're thinking about us, and they're praying for us. Why? Because they've got a direct line. Direct line is not an insurance. Direct line is one way to God, or two way to God. You to God, him to you. The portal's open. He knows how to step in. He knows how to hear God. He knows how to receive God. More importantly, and then he knows how to deliver God. That's what Hannah wanted from Samuel. And that's what she got. That's what she got. When she gave her son to Eli, let's pick it up. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. The boy Samuel was now ministering before the Lord under Eli. So now, not only has he been raised in the, pro, in the pro, uh, prophetic atmosphere, he's now ministering. He's now ministering before the Lord under Eli. Eli's the priest. In those days, listen, the word of the Lord was rare. There were, no, there were not many visions. So one night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, excuse me, was laying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. What do you do when the Lord calls? You answer. And he ran to Eli and said, I'm hearing voices in my head. No, he didn't. He said, here I am, called the Lord. And he, and, um, he said, And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, thinking it was Eli who was calling him. But Eli said, I didn't call you. Go back and lie down. 
So, so what he did, he went down and he lay down. And eventually the story goes on when he hears the Lord speak to him. And now he has to prophesy against the very guy who's raised him. Oy, don't let Sam go that far. <laughs> now, because now he's heard the voice of the Lord. Now he's recognized the voice of the Lord. But who taught him how to hear God? Eli. Your children must be taught how to hear God. Your eyes may be weak. You may be getting old. But you can still teach your children how to hear God. Why? Because teaching someone how to hear God is not about age. It's nothing to do with age. It's a spiritual dimension. Because we must get clearer and clearer and clearer in how to, to hear the voice of God. Some days God whispers, other day God shouts. Other time, God supplants thoughts in our minds, and we need to recognize those thoughts as spiritual thoughts, and then we need to give them an emphasis, and we need to give them an action. Amen? If God's got to keep screaming at you every time he wants to speak, there's something wrong. God can't keep screaming. Any parent that keeps screaming at the kids, after a while, the kids won't hear them. You can't keep turning the volume up. So, let's go to Acts chapter 10, verse 1. Are you still with me? Acts chapter 10, verse 1. Now we look at another family. He's called Cornelius. Cornelius... At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius who was a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. So he's a soldier. He's, he's, just, he's nobody special in that sense. He's not spiritual. Just, he is spiritual, but he's, he's not got a great, great, great name. He's, a, he's an Italian soldier. He's got men under his command, right? Probably not heard of, never would have been heard of had he not been spiritual, right? And all of a sudden, he has an encounter with God. He and all his family were devout. If you learn nothing else about Cornelius, know that him and all his family were devout. So he's obviously spent time cultivating an atmosphere for his whole family. Amen? He spent time, and the Bible, the first thing it says about him is, he's a devout man, him and all his family. Then he says this, they were God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision, and, and he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius. And Cornelius stared at him and said, What is it, Lord? He asked him. The angel answered, The prayers and the gifts of the poor have come up as a memorial offering. Now, let's just look at the dynamics here. He and his family were devout. How many of us would like a, a devout family? Yeah? Devout means... You believe strongly in the principles of God. The next thing they were, you may want this in your family, they were a God-fearing family. They, in other words, they had a God-consciousness guiding, guiding them and governing their actions. This family just didn't go to mass and just come home and live like they want through the week. They had a God-conscious about them. And it was the God conscious that was guiding them and governing them in all their actions. They feared God. Does your family have a fear of God? I didn't say frightened of God. But do you have a respect and an honor that there's a boundary that I cannot let my family cross? There are certain things I will not allow in my house. There are certain behaviors that I will not allow in my house. Why? Because I respect and love God so much that it will bring a dishonor to the Lord and it will contaminate the atmosphere. Amen? And our kids are the worst for bringing those things into the house. Yeah? And sometimes those things are people. They're called their friends. You have to discern what's good What's a good crowd for Johnny and Sally and what isn't? Amen? It's not always easy, that is it? They were a family who gave generously to the needs of others. 
In other words, they saw beyond themselves. When was the last time your children were consciously encouraged to give the little they have to somebody else in need? Come on. When was the last time we consciously gave? What I love last week is uh, uh, my, and this is coming from Ben and Natalie, who were not Christians. That's my daughter-in-law and son. They got, Natalie, uh, Natalie and Ben got uh, Ella and Harper, that's my granddaughters, to sort out some of the best of their toys that they don't use because they want to give them to the poor kids. So they're consciously sorting out some of the best stuff they've got to give to some of the kids. Now that thrilled me because it shows them that already, subconsciously, my kids, Ben, my son, has not realized what he's doing to some degree, to some degree. But what he's doing, he's actually starting in the principle of teaching his girls that there are others in need. And the best you've got, don't give the worst you've got. Give them the best you've got. Because if you give them the worst, it's called a dumping ground. The best is a gift. The worst is a dumping ground. And they were, they were thrilled to give it. And I thought, that's fantastic. This family had that. When was the last time you, caused your fam- you brought your family together and said, look, let's sacrifice something. For the, need, for the need of others. This is, a, this is the atmosphere I'm talking about. Because if there's one thing our children don't understand today, we're in a society where it's consumer-driven and everything's expected for nothing. But nothing comes for nothing. Everything costs a price. Amen? So, there were a family who prayed to God regularly. The head of the household knew how to connect to heaven. The head, listen to me, men, look at me. The head of the house interacted with God. Don't ever let me hear, guys, you saying, God doesn't speak to me, he only speaks to my wife. I'll take you out and help you. It's wrong to turn around and say, God only speaks to my wife. I went to counsel someone one day. Seriously, many years ago. And I've never heard the Holy Spirit say this to me like he did that day. And I said to this person, why are you leaving the church? You know what they said to me? You will not believe what they said to me. I think I might have shared this with you before. I'm walking down the road and the traffic lights turn green. And that was God speaking to me. It's time for me to go. And this was a couple who had been to Bible school. I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, get up. And leave. At that point, I thought, nothing else to say, is there? If the traffic light speaks to you, if you can hear the traffic light speak to you clearer than you can hear my voice, what do I have? Yeah? I walked out of the house, I thought, have you ever seen Taxi? Anybody ever see the old versions of Taxi? I go, like Jim. What am I supposed to do with that? The traffic lights are speaking to them. And I walked out and I thought, case dismissed. Honest. It's true, is that, that's, that's no lie. Travis, so have you ever said to me, <laughs> the Lord doesn't speak to me, but he speaks to the traffic lights through my wife. You're gone. You're gone. Fellas, you need to carry this responsibility. Why? It's not that God can't speak to us. Of course he speaks to our wives. Many times our wives are more spiritual than the fellas. The issue is, how can you cover her? If you can't hear her, how can you cover her? How can you stop her making a mistake? Or encourage her not to make a mistake? Probably a better way of phrasing that. Men, you have to learn to hear God. And to hear God, you need to learn to pray. Okay? Guys, you, God holds you responsibility. Sorry, responsible. God holds you responsible for covering your wife. Covering. You're supposed to wash her with a word. Not hit it with the traffic lights. You think I'm joking, don't you? Honest, that's true. That's true. I'm not making that up. At that point, all my influence (laughs) has gone down the pan. They were a family whose prayers were heard before heaven. Some prayers, you know, don't reach heaven. Why don't they reach heaven? Well, I'm glad you asked. They don't reach heaven... Because they're unbiblical. Sometimes, and come on, let's play honesty corner. 
very often, or maybe not very often, but sometimes we've tried to put God's hand up his back. Well, God, if you do this for me, then I will do this for you. But if not, that's called a terrorist. How many of you know God isn't about to respond to that kind of prayer? Well, Lord, you, dis- well, Lord, you disappoint me now. God's saying, really? Really? You can only pray, or you should only pray within the confines of Scripture. What Scripture allows us to pray, encourages us to pray, instructs us to pray, God can respond to that. God does not respond to to hijacks, manipulation, and you throwing a thromby. A sadon, as we call it. Throwing your toys out the pram. Whatever analogy you want to use. God is not moved by your moods. He's not. He's not. Because God knows why he won't answer and he just wants you to know. And God's got all the time in the world for you to come to your senses to see. But when you pray in his name according to his word, you speed up the process of God answering. Amen? He's given you his name to use. That doesn't mean to say you can ask for anything. He says, ask for anything in his name, in his word. Amen? And God, remember, God knows, because God is like the men of Issachar, because he knows the time and the season, and he knows what's coming and knows what to do. He sees things you don't. So all you can see is one dimension. And God sees, and very often, when God's not answered the prayer, then later on you go, I'm so glad God didn't answer that prayer. Why? Because they did da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and God's like, you know, shut your face then. Stop whinging. Learn to trust me. Learn to trust me. There's many of us who have not had some prayers answered. Is that not, is that not right? But what we don't know is why. But there's many of us who have had prayers answered. And we, and we don't worry about that then, do we? We just thank God, God answered my prayer. But there's going to be prayers that God doesn't answer yet. Timing. You've got to come to maturity. As I heard last week, that how can God speak to you at a mature level if you're immature? If you want a mature conversation, then God needs a mature man on the ground. Amen? There are some conversations you can't have with your children. Why? Because they're not that level. It's the same with God. You expect God to reveal to you the mysteries of the world. Yeah? Some days when you're up there, God, show me this. God, show me that. God, show me this. God, show me that. And God says, get a life. You think I can trust you with this? Grow up first. Mature. Show some consistency. So, lastly. Timothy. Timothy's my final. He's not my final, but it is now. Last scripture, 2 Timothy 1.3. So we've seen Eli. We've seen Samuel. We've seen Hannah in her response. We've seen Cornelius. Now we're going to just see Timothy. Last finish, we're going to be on in two minutes. In 2 Timothy 1.3, he says, I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience. Night and day, constantly remember you in prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you that I may be filled, that you, uh, that I may fill, uh, be filled with, sorry, with joy. I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and, in your, and, and your, your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. The next thing I want you to see is the whole thing of laying on of hands and how an impartation is so vital for raising generations in your house. You as the father will always be the father. You as the mother will always be the mother. It doesn't matter how many grandchildren you've got. It doesn't matter if if your son grows to be like Mr. Universe. You're still dad. You're still mum. So you have a role that can never be taken away. 
And because you've got that role in your house, you have what we call matriarchal, patriarchal influence. This morning I prayed for my granddaughter because she had a headache. She's not going to get that from her father at this point. So right now, the laying on of hands is a way that God uses to transfer heaven to earth. If God can get a man and a wife to walk in God's ways, God can transfer his power through the simple of laying on of hands. That's why we should pray for our children and we should lay hands on them. I don't mean round the throat. Yeah? Laying our hands on children is a way of impartation from me to you to them. Yes? Let's see how this impartation came through. First of all, he says, grandmother. Yes? He says, verse 5, I reminded you of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother. So grandmother is the patriarch in Timothy's family. Okay? So grandmother has a stature in God. They say now that there's more chances and more likelihood that your children will listen to their grandparents than they will the parents. Why? Because grandparents have chilled out. They've smoked all the marijuana. They know what it's like. Right? They've, they've tasted it all before. And now they've got mellow and chilled out. And now they know how to give wisdom. Right? They've gone through some stuff. And they know now how to minister to the grandchildren. They've got a perspective that mum and dad don't have. I'm seeing this as a grandparent that I'm more chilled around my grandkids than I was around my own kids. Yeah? I like the joy that I can take them and give them back. But the fact is I, I, I'm, a, I'm a lot more wiser now today how to deal with them than I was when I was a parent. True? So now we come to the point of grandmother's now got a stature in Timothy's family. So from Grandmother, now we go down to, now your mother Eunice. Yes? Mother Eunice. So grandmother has now taken what she got in the spirit, she passed it on to Eunice. Can you see this? Second generation. So Eunice has fed from her grandmother, or from her mother, which is Timothy's grandmother. Yes? Two generations have locked in. Then we come to Timothy. Now, now, from grandmother to mother to Timothy, dad's not mentioned it. It doesn't seem like he's one on the scene. Grandmother, mother, Timothy. Then what happens? A spiritual father comes along called Paul. And Paul sees that there's a gift in Timothy. But there's a work that only a spiritual dad can do that parents can't do. Why? Because in this particular instance, as an apostle, Paul carried a grace and Timothy was going to be one of the sons that was going to embark upon this missionary journey. Amen? What I'm saying is this. You raise your children. Raise them, raise them, raise them, raise them, raise them. But at some point, God will send someone else to take them and complete the journey that you can't. Hello? Because there'll always be your children. There'll always be your children. But there are others that God has to bring into that circle to take your children to be where they need to be and do what they need to do. It can't all be you. But you've got your role. And in the church, that's why God gives us pastors, prophets, apostles, teachers. Amen? And because they're going to take your children to the next level. Hannah realized that she couldn't do what Eli could do. Do you see this? So don't ever get to the point that you can be the only one that can teach your children. You can't. But you must do what you have been told to do. Amen? Thank God for grandmothers. How many grandmothers have we got in here this morning? Stand up. Stand up. Come on. We're going to pray now. We're going to lay our hands Because we believe from the matriarchal, it's going to run right down. Grandmothers. Okay. Where's the next generation? Have you got any, have you got any, any of those grandmothers got their kids in here today? No, that's the grandmother. So, 
<laughs> but you're not Urquid, are you? Have I got to teach you who your mother was? <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. That is, that is true. All right, you can stand behind her then. Come on, we've succumbed to it. Right. The grandmothers, raise your hands right now. There's going to be an impartation by the Spirit right now for you. Father, by the decree of the Spirit and by an open heaven, Lord, we, we release heaven, an impartation of heaven, Father, through every grandmother to stand hold the course to influence their grandchildren, their children, by the Spirit of God. Father, I, I, I bestow upon the grandmothers an anointing to reach, an anointing to model, an anointing to influence. Come on, come on, receive it in the Spirit. It's a spiritual impartation. Receive it in Jesus' name. Receive it in Jesus' name. Receive it in Jesus' name. Right now, right now, to influence the next generation. Right now, in Jesus' name. Right, the next generation. If you're under, so now you can stand on. So if you're the next generation, and under your grandmother or grandfather, stand up. So in other words, like uh, you, can stand up because you're under your dad. You're the next generation to your dad. Stand up. Is anybody else? Right, get ready. Alvin, I'd like you to pray over your own son. As a, page, as a, as a page, mother, come on, mum and dad, pay, pray over him. As a, as, a, as a matriarchal and a patriarchal blessing, pray what you've got onto the next generation. Come on, right now. Father, we declare right now for the next generation. For Kevin, it is Kevin, isn't it? I always get mixed up with you, you and your... Stephen, sorry. Stephen, you need to put a cross on your head or something. <laughs> Father, right now, we declare over Stephen and his family, there be a blessing of the Father into the Son. There'll be a quickening anointing that you will go further and see further than mum and dad. That's what's supposed to happen in the Spirit. That you'll do, you'll do more, you'll go further, you'll have an open heaven over your life, you'll raise your children, you'll raise your wife into the things of God. Because God is about to do something in your life, Stephen, that you've never seen or never thought was possible before. The anointing that's coming upon your life is setting you apart. It's your turn, it's your time. You've watched your mum and dad, but now it's your time and it's your turn because there's going to be a field that you're going to work in that, that your mum and dad could never go in. And God has set you apart for this time and is about to call you into a new sphere of life. And he says, listen to me like you've never listened to me before. Learn my ways. Hear my voice. Get to know my voice because it's going to be that voice that's going to keep you in the troubled times. Right now in Jesus' name, for your children. It's going to go deep. It's going to go deep into the ground. There's going to be a lineage. There's going to be a legacy. And now it's your turn to carry the baton and pass it on and pass it through. What your mother and father started, you must now carry. You must run with it. It's your turn. So right now, your children are going to be the recipients of what's been given to you today in the spirit. You may not feel it, but it's coming to you. It's coming to you. There's a grace and a wisdom for you to know what to do in the times. I said there's a grace and a wisdom coming to you so you can know what to do in the times. Father, right now we receive, we, we release it in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Now, is there any third generation? Let's just all, let's, why don't we all just stand now? Remember, let's go back to our initial statement and we'll pray this. Ready for this? Your family is designed. Your family is designed. What's it designed for? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's designed for accomplishment. So right now, let's just be, raise our hands. I'm going to impart to you right now in the spirit. The power to accomplish. Accomplish all that God is, is destined, sorry, destined for you to accomplish. So, Father, right now, 
I raise every family up to you, O oh God. And I release, O oh God, the ability to accomplish all that you have destined these people here, O oh God, to accomplish. Father, give them the wisdom, the insight, the foresight, the knowledge, the revelation, the understanding to set the course that will lead their children to great accomplishments. Father, I decree right now, every family is designed and engineered for success. Father, not success as the world would have it, but success as you view it. So Father, right now, Lord, we pray, oh God, re-engineer our children back to purpose. Re-engineer our children. Father, you know the parts that are not working. You know the parts that are dysfunctional. So Father, right now in the spirit, we declare over every family, oh God, a re-engineering, a returning around, an oiling of the wheels, oh God. Father, right now, come on, say it, re-engineer my family, oh God. Re-engineer my family. Everything that's not in sync with you, Lord, sync it, synchronize it right now. So there's a flow, there's a, there's a movement, there's a viscosity in the spirit within my hearts of my family. And finally, what do you confess? My family, my name, my lineage is endowed with the seed of greatness. Come on. My family, my name, my lineage, my background, irrespective of being good, bad, indifferent, is endowed with the seed of greatness. I break off every curse. I break off every limitation. I break off every bad reputation of my family. Because that's not us. That's not what we were born for. That's not what I was engineered for. That's not, what I, that's not the seed that's inside of me. The seed inside me is of greatness. I am the king's son. I'm the king's daughter. Oh, mighty God. You have the seed of greatness. Oh, Father, right now. (coughs) Right now. Right now, in Jesus' name. Right now. We release it in Jesus' name. And the family of God said... Amen. You're blessed. You're blessed. Raise your kids. Have fun. Laugh. Sing. Cry. Dance. But raise them in a spiritual environment. Don't bring them to church expecting us to do it. You do it at home. Our job is when you're here is to empower you to do what you need to do through the week. Amen. Said amen. Amen. Lord bless you all.